Is that just so hard for us to grasp because we just haven't had that in previous no. historical civilizations? The, the reason is, think about, we grew up in the savannas of Africa where everything was linear and local. You knew how far the tiger was, you knew how far I need to run. You never had to go and say, there's exponentially a tiger is somewhere on the other side of Amazon. You don't care. Sure. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. Right? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. So point is, we were very simply thinking about linearity because that's the only thing that gave us an advantage of survival or procreation for that matter, right? And those are the only two reasons why we as humans exist, right? yourself and then we can go on uh, then I, it's, it's my turn after that no please yeah so i mean quick story <laughs> about me born in korea immigrated to canada when i was very young and um really got my start in tech entrepreneurship when i got into a program called the next 36 which is like a field fellowship for canada mm-hmm. and uh got funding for that and everything yeah and um yeah now working on a company called Jumpspeak, which is using AI and speech recognition to help people immerse in, yeah. uh, in, in a foreign language conversation to, to be able yeah. to speak a language. That's awesome, brother. That's awesome. I love entrepreneurs because they are the ones that make other people's life better. I mean, that's fundamentally the principle of entrepreneurship is what problems can you solve that will make other people's life better? And that's how you create a business. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I, there's some synergy for sure when you meet another entrepreneur. I mean, yeah. um, so I, I, I totally get that. And yeah, I mean, love to love to go into your story, which right. is the what? reason why we're here, obviously. Um, but yeah, maybe, you know, I love to first start off. I mean, I, I read that you collect meteorites. Oh, God. And, oh, God. <laughs> I'm sure people have asked you uh, to the point, you know, where it's, it's cost you uh, a good amount of money. I mean, I, maybe, maybe not for your standards, but I mean, it's, it's, we're talking millions of dollars. I mean, where did that interest come from and kind of where has that hobby really taken you since 2012, I think is when you started. Well, it's not about really collecting meteorites as such. I mean, to me, it is something about holding a piece of a planet that you may not visit, right? So mm-hmm. really holding a piece of the Mars and the moon and asteroids and, you know, Vesta. And really to me, and some of these meteorites come from different galaxies, right? And you're starting to see that you're touching and feeling things and it brings you close to your own uh, origin, right? I mean, at the end of the day, we are all aliens, right? I mean, there is no doubt in my mind that, you know, initially the life started with all the meteorites, whether it is, you know, some of the carbonaceous chondrite, bringing the water to our planet Earth, bringing the, uh, you know, the lot of the underlying uh, amino acids that became the DNA uh, for uh, the life and eventually that became a human life. And you see some of these meteorites, when you analyze them, they still have that, you know, some of these amino acids that actually are in humans. So these are literally all the amino acids you can see. And it starts to feel that, you know, are we really all aliens? And when we start to look about the things and say, you know, even though we are on this planet, there is, no, there is not a 
I would say almost certainty that there is a life somewhere else because this cannot be just a coincidence when there are trillions of other planets out there. And what if uh, the life there started substantially before we did? So if you look at this universe, you know, Big Bang, you know, give or take 13 billion years ago, and the life on uh, planet Earth started, give or take, you know, the first amoebas three and a half billion years ago. And if you look at the progress of that, just the humanity, how much we progress in the last one million years, and which is in a big cosmic scale is literally seconds or microseconds, right? What if the life on the some other planet started a million, a million years before we did? They would be looking at us today as if we are so primitive. So when they say, why don't they communicate with us? It is same reason we don't stop and communicate with an ant and say, hey, ant, how are you feeling today? Would you like to tell us something about your life, right? I mean, mm. they're looking at us like these ants, they walk, they drive. They don't just appear and disappear. They don't just de-atomize one place and atomize in some different place. What kind of these ants are on this planet and what is there to communicate with them? <laughs> <clears throat> you think they're that far ahead? I mean, that kind of scares me because I've stepped on a lot of ants by accident as well. And that's kind yeah. of the fear that someone might just trample over us if they're that far ahead of our civilization. Or, or you could argue that that civilization has put us in a simulated mode and we are literally are a algorithm being driven. <clears throat> and if you're religious, you would call the destiny your pre-written. So the same concept of the science and religion starts to come together. In the mm. science, you believe there is a programmer that created this simulation and we are all running as an algorithm. And if you're a religious person, you say that programmer is called God and that our destiny is pre-written, which is algorithms, <clears throat> and you reincarnate, <clears throat> which is you literally are a new avatar gets created. My God, this is way too early for this deep of a conversation. I feel that beat. But you're clearly fired up and ready to go. <laughs> but anyway, that point I'm going to make is that we as humans have, you know, now just focus on planet Earth and we can talk about that, why we need to go beyond planet Earth. There are tremendous amount of problems we're going to always have. Every solution that we create ends up just pushing the problems to the next level. And there'll always be the problems to solve. And there's always going to be an entrepreneur who would solve that problem. And that's the reason to me that if you look at the superpowers of tomorrow or superpowers of today, they are the entrepreneurs. The countries are losing that battle day in, day out. Because at the end of the day, they rely on entrepreneurs to go out and do that. Whether it's a space exploration now, or whether you're looking at that gut exploration, whether you're looking at pushing the boundaries of what you know automotive industry could do, to the pushing the boundaries of what energy policy we can have. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated because <clears throat> of your interest in space exploration, but also how much you're invested in longevity for helping yep. people live longer on Earth. What are your thoughts around exploration and how, let's say, someone like Elon Musk thinks about yep. the idea that we shouldn't depend on just Earth, that this is really the next frontier of living on other planets? I mean, is that something you support or do you feel that it's really better to spend resources here on Earth uh, and you're just solely based on, you know, keeping Earth the, the pain place for humans? Well, look at this way, Sean. I mean, that mindset of a scarcity will tell you that if you're spacing exploration of space, then you are not taking care of Earth. 
And I think the mindset of abundance tells you, you can do this and that, not this or that. So idea is why not do both? Because at the end of the day, in the long term, you have to save humanity from potential extinction, right? All 7.4 billion of us are living on a single aircraft or single spacecraft, let's call that, called planet Earth. Our spacecraft is flying naked in the space. We all, it's a matter of time, if we get hit by a large asteroid. Remember what happened to the dinosaur species. They were substantially larger. When the asteroid hit, the whole species got wiped out. So when you and I today are so egotistic, and when we look at the thing and say, I am worried about our planet. Hear what planet has to tell you back. Don't worry about me. Worry about the human species. I will be just fine. You will get wiped out. <laughs> My point is when dinosaurs got wiped out, the you know, earth created humans. We get wiped out, it will create superhumans. It's not going anywhere. The planet would survive. And if we don't take care of our human species by actually going into not just the different planets in our solar system, because one day our solar system is going to implode. Think about it. Our sun is a fusion source. It's a, whether it's now 100 million or a billion years from now, our, that star is going to be gone and all planets around it is going to be gone. So you want to distribute initially to the nearest uh, you know, nearest planet, uh, moon, we want to go to the Mars, but then you want to go beyond our solar system into a different solar system within our galaxy. And then you want to go beyond our galaxy into a different galaxy, because that's how you want to create the backup of the humanity into multiple places. And one day you want to go beyond our universe into other universe. So you have a backup to the other universe. And then someday you can reseed the species if you need to. So the answer is yes, you want to create a amazing longevity for our species on planet Earth and find a way for it to back up on other uh, galaxies and other universes. Do you think that'll happen in our, in our lifetime to be able to reach into a different galaxy? Well, it is going to happen in our lifetime for us to be able to live on other planets. There's just no doubt in my mind that, you know, people say that how can humans live on moon or Mars or pick it just even on our solar system? Because they ask the question about how are you going to grow the food on the Mars or how are you going to grow the food on the moon? To me, that is a limiting question. So if you change the question you're asking about how do we grow the food to simply change the question to say, why do we need food? Mm. And then say, oh, we need food for energy and we need for nutrition. What are the different ways can you get energy? A lot of bacterial species get energy from radioactive waste, which is uh, radiation. What if we can take a bacteria, that genetic bacteria from those <clears throat> genes from those bacteria, use CRISPR to modify in vivo ourselves, and suddenly we are radiation resistant and we get the energy from radiation? Can we use the energy from photosynthesis like the plants do? Right. My point I'm trying to make is that if you ask slightly different question, it opens up the possibilities of what no one has ever thought about. And as an entrepreneur, that's a rule number one. Every time you want to solve a problem, 
ask yourself, what questions am I going to be asking, which are different from what everyone else is asking? And that's how you solve the problem that remains unsolvable. How have you taught yourself? And do you think it's possible? And, and, and what's the process of teaching people to ask better questions? Because I feel like that's really one of the most important things you can do to get the right answer. And partly it, it has multiple sets of multiple facets to that. Number one, if you are an expert in your field, you will never ask a, 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 the different question because by becoming an expert, what makes you an expert that you have gathered tremendous amount of knowledge and the base that you call your, they've taken it for granted and that's what makes you an expert. So you will never be able to challenge that because that's what makes you an expert. It is that person coming from outside in challenges the foundation of what every expert has taken it for granted. Re, re-ask that question and completely changes the foundation and the whole industry gets disrupted, right? <clears throat> and that's the reason you find every single industry you look at today, who is disrupting it? It is not the insider. Look at the space. Was it the a Boeing or McDonald or NASA that decided to go disrupt, build the reusable rocket? It was a private enterprise that did that. And the people who came from outside the industry, from the internet, e-commerce, right? Right, You're <clears> right. The Airbnb, saying, Uber. Yeah. <clears throat> and, or, or you look at the people like uh, Richard Branson coming from totally hospitality industry and saying this needs to be disrupted. Mm. The point I'm trying to make is you look at the automotive industry. It wasn't the Ford or the GM or the Chryslers or BMW that decide let's go make the electric vehicle. It was an outsider who did that. And you look at all the things like Uber, as we mentioned, they disrupted the taxi industry. Taxi industry did not disrupt. Right? It is, you look at the hotel industry disrupted by Airbnb, not some Starwood or somebody decided that it's time to rechange the industry. And my point is that applies to everything. Today, you're going to find the real estate industry being disrupted, the credit card industry that being disrupted. You pick a place, it is going to get disrupted because there's someone out there who's rethinking how it should be done. Look at finance. I mean, someday the blockchain and some version of digital currency is going to completely change the peer-to-peer lending, is going to get rid of all these centralized intermediary banks that we call them today. Mm. <clears throat> Absolutely, yeah. Well, you, you have this great, I mean, maybe, maybe the funder, uh, fundamental underlying process to get to asking better questions is the curiosity portion. You have this great quote where, Um, I'm going to paraphrase it, which is focusing on making the horse thirsty instead of worrying about whether the horse will drink water when you lead it to them. You know, when you're talking about particularly older adults, right? So let's say people in their late twenties, early thirties, forties, where they've kind of grounded the philosophies or the values and how they think about life. How do you kind of help them unlearn some of these things that they've been taught and foster curiosity? What is very interesting is that curiosity dies uh, when we stop, uh, you know, stop thinking that there is a different way of doing it, right? So, and you as humans die. So I have a really interesting way of looking at life. There are two ways to look at life. One is if you want to be alive, the only way you know you are alive is you have a heartbeat, right? Mm. 
And what does a heartbeat look like? Up and down and up and down. And when you have a smooth life, you're dead. So if you have, if you meet a person who wants to live a smooth life, what is it that telling you? He wants to live a life of a dead person, right? Because the person who wants to be alive knows that there are times you're going to be down. And when you're down, all you have to do is hunker down. The next beat is going to be up. And when you're on top of that beat, never get cocky. Just remember the winter is coming and winter shall come and winter mm. does come. And that is just life, right? Accept it is going to happen and accept that when it happens, right? So expectation of ha is happening and then accepting it when it happens is that's one part. And the second part of really being curious is to always challenge the status quo of what you see. Always ask, what if, what if, it someday was a different way of doing it. What if it's actually possible? And the two most powerful words that I find in the English language that everyone should start with, imagine. Imagine is an amaz amazing word. When I say, Sean, imagine, your preconceived idea just go away and you have a blank slate that I can write on. Imagine in front of you, there is this thing that is in front of you is dissolving. And now you're starting to imagine that happening. And the more vividly you can describe that, someone says, I can make that happen now. Because hmm. if you can visualize it, you can imagine it, you can create it. Right? So that's, and what if is another part when someone say it can't be done. And you simply ask back and say, what if it could be done? What would that life look like? Tell me what would that change? And, I, and then you start to get them point to say, forget about how we are going to solve this problem. You mm -hmm. ask yourself, what would it take for this problem to be solved? What are the problems that need to be solved for this massive problem to be solved? And then you start to take one at a time and say, all of them look very solvable. So let's go start attacking each one of them. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting way to look at it. It kind of reminds me of, kind of the golden rule when you're doing improv, where yeah. when you're going through a scenario and obviously it's all made up, the whole yeah. idea is that when you're speaking with the other person, you have to agree, you have to say yes, yeah. and, and yeah. that's kind of the golden rule, right? So you're just emphasizing like, what if yeah. this could work and you're taking people into a different vision, yeah. different imaginary path. Um, what are some of the questions that you tend to ask yourself in order to break out of your kind of thinking process? Obviously, mm -hmm. you've developed yourself to the point maybe you don't need to ask these questions, but when you were in that process, yeah. Um, yeah. what are some of these questions? I mean, one example I can think about is like Peter Thiel um, has this question, which is, what if you can imagine or think about the goals you have in 10 years? How yeah. can you achieve that in six months? Mm -hmm. Which is like crazy, but it's not about getting the right answer. It's about sure. just breaking yourself out of that mold. Yes. And I think that, so, so I actually use a, a framework which essentially says, before you do anything, ask yourself three questions. <clears throat> and not one. It's a three question set. First is, why this? Why is it you want to do this? Second question is, why now? Why do you believe now is the time to actually be doing this? And the third question is, why me? Am I really the right person to be doing this? And what is it about me that makes me the right person to be doing it, right? And once you, so first question is very simple. Why this is, you, you start backward just like you say. God forbid you are actually successful in solving the problem that you set out to do. Would it help a billion people live a better life? And the reason you ask that is 
Because when you start to think about making a billion people's life better, the two things happen. Not because it's a philanthropic thing to do, because anytime you can build any product or service that can help a billion people, you can create a hundred billion or $500 billion company. Mm. <clears throat> the second reason you ask yourself that question is, you no longer simply do something that may work, but only helps a thousand people because it's a non-scalable way of doing it, right? Because if you think a billion people, you have to think at scale how it is going to be done. So you don't say, hey, <clears throat> if I can build a shelter where you can have homeless people come in, you say, wow, that's an amazing thing. And then you realize, how is them going to do that for a billion people? You say, well, that's not doable, right? And that's the reason you start to say that even if it is successful, would it scale to a billion people? Because no point doing something that succeeds and fails because it can't scale. Mm. Right? And that's the thing. So that's one part. Then you ask yourself the second part, why now? And why now is <clears throat> what had changed in the last one to two years, but more importantly, what do you expect to change in the next three to five to 10 years that will allow you to solve this problem at scale by intercepting the exponentially growing technologies that could, and this problem couldn't have been solved half a decade ago or even two years ago. This problem can only be solved now because these conversions of these technologies that are coming together, that was never possible before, right? So when you say the cost of <clears throat> digitizing the human body is coming down, cost of computing is marginally zero, cost of analyzing an AI is becoming so powerful it can actually do unsupervised learning on massive amount of data. And then you say, oh, that means the healthcare problem can now be solved, right? Mm. And then you start to ask yourself the, uh, you know, the, the last question, which is why me, which is what questions are you going to be asking, which are different from what everyone else is asking? And I think Peter Thiel would put it in a slightly different way, which is what is it that you believe that everyone else disagrees with, right? Yeah. And that's yeah. basically a similar way of asking, I say, what is that industry is doing? And you believe that's just wrong way of doing it. There is a better way of doing something, right? And everybody says, nah, that will never work. And we say, good. So maybe I have a solution that nobody's thinking about yet. Right? Mm. And that's really the way to do that. And I can apply that to my most recent company, all these three things, how I came. And that grounds you to taking an abstract concept and actually showing you that it's not an abstract. It is actually how you solve a large problem, right? So as you know, I started this company called Wyo, and I just, I'm going to spell it because as Indian, I don't know if you know what I would call it. As Indians, you can never pronounce the word B. It's I say B, <laughs> just, I don't know. What. And I named yeah, the company. We said B in Korean. Yeah, we can't say B either. Yeah. yeah. So, as India also, they, <laughs> so I said, why? And people say, that's not why I'm the why? Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> we as in Victor, I O M. So there you have it. <laughs> so, yeah. So this, so the company started while with a fundamental belief. What if we can prevent and cure chronic diseases that includes cancer and aging? Now, why would you do that? Now, so the question was, despite us sitting in the midst of this pandemic right now, we as humanity have really gotten our arms around infectious diseases since the invention of antibiotics. This pandemic is once in a hundred year problem. And even there, you know, despite having lost 6 million great souls of humanity to this pandemic, 
Every year we lose more people to cancer, to diabetes, to heart disease, to aging. I mean, literally these are the diseases, the chronic diseases that's killing the humanity. What if you can solve this problem? And you ask yourself, why this? You say, if we can prevent and reverse chronic diseases, including cancer and aging, would it help a billion people live a better life? Answer is 7.4 billion people, check mark. Great, why now? Why now? You say, look, the cost of digitizing used to be you know, $10,000 or a billion dollars when we first sequenced the human genome. It has come down to $1,200. In the next three to five years, it will come down to $100 or $10. This is going down on a path where it can be scaling. So when we started the company six years ago, cost was $1,200. We were convinced it's going to go to $100, came down to about $8 to $10, right? And we say, great. So even though we were 10 times optimistic, turns out we were 10 times pessimistic. And that is really interesting thing about exponential technologies, the human mind can never grasp the concept of exponentiality. It always does linearly. It came from 10,000 to thousands in the five years, it will go down to you know, 100 in the next five years. It is just very, very linearly. And I think I can give you one way, one problem that I think most people get it wrong, and it, you know, which is how do you look at this exponentially or doubling of a technology, right? So if I were to ask you and say, hey, if you take, 30 steps, how far would you go? Everybody can tell you I'll be end of the room in 30 steps. You said take 30 doubling steps, one step and then two steps, then four steps, then eight steps, then 16 steps and 32 steps. How far would you go with 30 doubling later? And people say, oh, maybe two, three, five miles, right? Right, right. It, it is literally 16 times around the planet. Wow. Right, it's human yeah. mind just can't grasp because the last, 30, the 30th doubling later, it is 1 billion steps. Hmm. Yeah. Is that just so hard for us to grasp because we just haven't had that in previous no. historical civilizations? The, the reason is, think about, we grew up in the savannas of Africa where everything was linear and local. You knew how far the tiger was. You knew how far I need to run. You never had to go and say, these exponentially a tiger is somewhere on the other side of Amazon. You don't care. Sure. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. So point is, we were very simply thinking about linearity because that's the only thing that gave us an advantage of survival or procreation for that matter, right? And those are the only two reasons why we as humans exist, right? <laughs> so point I'm trying to make is that once you understand this concept, this, you know, so again, coming back to my framework, you can start to look at the same thing is happening, the cost of computing. It used to be you need a supercomputer to you know, analyze these petabytes of data. Now you can throw them on a cloud computing. The costs are coming down from tens of thousands of dollars to hundreds of dollars to tens of dollars to dollars now, right? And that, we saw that coming. And AI is becoming so powerful and we all knew that. So that's the reason I started this company six years ago that this problem can be solved. The third part was the most important part as you, as you pointed out, why me? I am not a scientist. And by the way, nor not do I have a degree in the, uh, medicine. Now, what makes me the most dangerous person in this industry is because I know nothing about it. So I don't have to have any preconceived ideas of right. why it can't be done. So when every expert in the industry was saying, I want to focus on your DNA or your genetics because your DNA is the, you know, your human body, 
DNA is unique to you. It never changes. And if I can find out what's your DNA of Shan, we can solve this problem. And I kept thinking, God, if DNA never changes, then when I develop diabetes, how would I know I'm developing a diabetes? It's not changing. How would I know when I'm developing a heart disease because my DNA is not changing? So I can my, do, do my DNA test. I gain 100 pounds. My DNA is the same. I get diabetes, my DNA is the same. I get heart disease, my DNA is the same. I get depression, anxiety, Parkinson's, and so on. My DNA doesn't change. And then I die. You do 10 years after I die, my DNA is still the same. Remember, we can still get a DNA from a dinosaur. Right? Mm. So DNA doesn't even tell you you're dead or alive, let alone you're healthy or sick. So it occurred to me, wow, if DNA doesn't change, what changes when you develop a disease? Go back to my uh, Khan Academy. <laughs> like, what the hell is going on? High school biology. Oh, DNA makes RNA. And RNA is what changes the gene expression. It's what changes when you develop a disease. When someone doesn't know what you ask, you say, fuck it. Let's just measure RNA. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we just go measure RNA? No one ever told me, you know, no one does that, right? Uh, mm. Because it can't be done. Yes, we'll figure that out later. But if we can measure gene expression, would that solve the problem? People say, not really. What do you mean? Not really. I just solved the world hunger problem for you. Well, there are microbes in your body, in your gut, in your mouth, all over you. And they, by the way, 100 trillion of them and a little bit of human genes in them. So literally, your whole body is an ecosystem full of microbes inside you, outside you. Hmm. And every single disease, by the way, you can Google today, you know, Parkinson's and microbiome, depression and microbiome, you know, cancer and microbiome, literally any disease you want, microbiome is actually important. Everybody believes that. And then suddenly you go back and say, holy cow, is there a Eureka moment that I found that every disease, chronic disease connected to microbiome, or I'm a complete moron. If everybody believes that's a problem and there are 10 companies that are looking at microbiome, why is this problem not solved? Hmm. And then you go back to the framework. What questions are they asking? And it turns out every single microbiome company, even today, is asking the same wrong question. They want to know what organisms are in Sean's gut, what organisms are in Naveen's gut. And here's what happens. It, you know, not knowing what these organisms are, I keep thinking they are probably like a tiny humans. What if there could be 10,000 different organisms producing the same thing that's making me sick? So I take two people with diabetes, completely different microbiome, yet producing the same toxin that's making you sick. What matters right. is what they are producing, not who they are. And what if the same organism can do something good because it's in the good gut environment in Sean's gut and something totally toxic because I have a really toxin-producing gut microbiome. And every organism, even the good one, is producing the toxin because it needs to survive. So it is a good person behaves badly in a bad environment and a bad person behaves good in a good environment. So let's just focus on what they are doing, not who they are. So punish the sin, not the sinner. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a fascinating way to, to approach it. And again, as, like you said, you didn't have expertise. Yeah. You didn't have a PhD in this, experience, in this field. You just went into it. Um, for someone that's maybe in a similar situation, yeah. how do you balance that combination, that, that kind of delicate dance of yeah. humility, but also the ambition of, yes. yes? So the way you do that is you bring that impossibilities to possibilities, and then you 
you actually challenge experts to tell me how to do that, why it can't be done, right? Hmm. So when we started on this journey, we said, okay, we're going to do this RNA sequencing. I literally went to uh, JPL, NASA JPL, thinking these guys have figured out go to Mars, looking for organisms. They must know how to do that. Right. No luck. I'm thinking you are morons. Of course, headquartered at Houston figured this thing out long time ago. I'm going to go to NASA Houston. No luck. Went to you know, Kennedy Space Center. No luck. Lawrence Berkeley, Lawrence Livermore. No luck. I am now at Los Alamos National Lab. And this time now I'm like giving up. Like what the hell to do? Maybe this thing just not possible. So I decided I'm going to do a challenge. Here is $100,000 to any scientist who can come and tell me how to do this. And one of the scientists comes and say, you know, I'm working on a project where not only I can tell you what these organisms are producing, I can tell you what antibiotics, if there's a bacterial infection, what antibiotics is going to work and which one is not going to work. So my first question was, what project are you working on? And he looks at me and says, what's your security clearance level? And he said, don't answer me. He said, even if you told me CIA, I can tell you that you don't have a right to know anything what I'm working on. So just don't ask me. And I'm thinking, that's bullshit, right? So I said, no, I don't care what you're working on. Tell me how you do it. And he's describing to me how he does this RNA sequencing. Anyway, long story short, I managed to get a perpetual exclusive license to the technology, hired the scientists and his whole team, and they started wild. Wow. And yeah. literally, that's how entrepreneurs do. They go and say, I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to find someone who knows how to do this. Mm. And then yeah. my job is to now bring the team together and I said, now I know how to do this. I need somebody, a good AI person. Call the head of IBM Watson and say, do you want to come and solve the problem that will challenge the humanity, how humanity lives? He said, look, I got a lot of success in my life. I want to work on something that is going to be legendary for me to create a, my significance of what I'm working on. So I, right. he put his job and come and join me. Right? <clears throat> now, I'm now building this massive team, hired the global head of R&D from GSK to make sure I'm doing this thing in the right way. And then guess what happens? When you build a team like that, every venture capital saying, what the hell are you working on? Why are all these people quitting and joining you? We want to give you money. So suddenly now you have access to money, you have the team, and now you can solve the problem that I had no idea how to do it, right? Guess what happens? I started this company and now we have analyzed over 325,000 people. People get this test at home. Give us a touch of mm. a stool, by the way. Beautiful package. Right? But yes, that's, that's the whole idea was it wasn't a medical package. Imagine living in a world where illness is optional, very inspirational and aspirational. You give us a couple of drops of your blood, touch of a stool, a spit of your saliva. We tell you, hey, Sean, your biological age is this, despite your chronological age. That tells you how well your body is aging from inside. What is your immune health? That means how well are you protected against cold, flu, or God forbid, COVID? What is your cellular health? What is your gut health? What's your mitochondrial health? And then we don't say, good luck. Then we say, oh, Sean, don't stop eating broccoli because your sulfide production in your gut, those microbes are putting a lot of sulfide that's causing inflammation and broccoli has a lot of sulfate in it that makes the sulfide. Don't eat broccoli right now. And by the way, 
your oxalic metabolism pathways are very low, so don't eat spinach, even though Popeye told you it's good for you. Popeye was not a scientist. Don't take that. Your ammonia production is causing a lot of inflammation in your gut. And by the way, it's coming from fermenting the protein. So the protein that you're eating is not being digested. So take a digestive enzyme with your protein. How do you know what we're eating, though? Is that something we also we have to... Okay. No, no we, we tell you what not to eat and what to eat by looking Got at it. what is already happening. So we are deducing that you must be eating a lot of protein because you're seeing the protein fermentation. We know gotcha. your sulfide production is too high. You're eating a lot of foods that have high in sulfate, broccoli, cabbage, Brussels sprout, because there is no way otherwise sulfide is going to be produced. And is this using AI? Like, is it just being all sent AI. to a lab? All like, so there's no scientists involved. No, like, just all the analyzing the RNA of your blood and analyzing all the RNA of your microbes, all the RNA of your everything in your saliva. And then we tell you, this is what is going on in your body based on all the samples you send us using AI. And then even better, then we tell you, hey, don't take vitamin B3 because your uric acid production is too high. And don't, don't take curcumin right now because your bile acid production is too high. A lot of people take NAD for longevity. I'm telling you NAD or NMN is going to harm you because your cellular senescence is very high right now. Don't take that. But you do need 22 milligram of berberine every day. You should take 27 milligram of elderberry every day. Take 29 milligram of amylase every day. Every, so now we tell you every vitamin, mineral, herbs, digestive enzymes, amino acids, probiotics, prebiotics. And then we go a step further. We make those capsules with only those ingredients in that dosage for you every month. And as you mm. reanalyze your body, we say, okay, you don't need elderberry anymore. You don't need amylase anymore. Now I'm going to give you these different things, right? So it doesn't matter. This is literally my box, right? Precision, mm. just what you need, nothing that you don't. Yeah. Every single thing here, there is nothing pre-made, brother. Everything is made for you that day when you order, when you get your test results. Right, right, right. right. <clears throat> and that's literally, by doing that, here's amazing thing that happened, Sean. People, we did a clinical test. In four months, people's diabetes score, HbA1c, came down by 30%. Their depression came down by 36%. Their anxiety clinical score measured by GAD7 by 32%. IBS by 40%. And then we showed that people who have taken the test for you know six months test again, they, they sleep better. They have no acne or eczema. Their digestive symptom, bloating, gas, stomach ache is gone. They have no more better mood, right? All the things that people thought were diseases were just the symptoms of inflammation. If you get mm. rid of that inflammation, root cause of chronic diseases is chronic inflammation. You get rid of that and these symptoms disappear, right? Mm. And that to me is a prevention of chronic diseases. Yeah, so you mentioned in the website, chronological is actually the age that you've lived mm. on, or on earth and biological is the cells and how healthy you are. What is the current gap on average? And where do you think with the you know, evolution of, all of these new technologies like VM, Kathayam yeah, coming yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. How far can we extend the difference between <sighs> biological and technology? So look, I just in the last couple of years, my biological age, so I'm, I'm chronologically 62. Biologically, I'm down to 52, right? So wow. I'm 10 years already. My hope is when I'm 70, chronologically, my biological age will be down to 40. 
And doesn't mean I'm not 70 years old, but I will have energy of a 40. Like think about it. today, I have more energy when I was, you know, when I was 50. I run up the stairs, skipping the stairs, right? I kick ass in the gym for most 29 year olds. <laughs> <laughs> and my point is I've lost weight and I'm better off today than I was ever in my 50s. Right? So mm. I think that's so the gap. What we're seeing is people who go on a fat diet are the worst offender. People who are on a keto diet, their biological age is five to seven years higher than their chronological age. Huh, people who are on, because remember, they don't eat all the nutrients. They're only eating fat. They're only eating protein. They're not eating any carbs. Mm. <clears throat> and your body is completely out of whack. Your hormones are out of whack and your organs are out of whack because they're no longer getting the energy. People huh. on a paleo diet, the same problem. So what we saw was, in fact, very interesting was women, when they get pregnant, they actually reduce their biological age because of the getting the new, bot, new baby to be born. The body rejuvenates itself. And it's amazing. We see when, people, when women get pregnant, their biological age comes down. Hmm. Interesting. And right. you measure that through the VM, you said? Biome, yeah. You guys share yeah. yeah. You guys share that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. Uh, wow. And so while it's very interesting that, we, you know, you can see all that. And now from that, we are able to do the diagnosis of the diseases that were never diagnosed early. So we just got the FDA breakthrough device designation. You spit in a tube and we can tell you if you have stage one or the earliest possible sign of oral cancer or throat cancer. 95% specificity. And we are now launching that as a consumer test in the next couple of months. We send you a test, you spit, and we can tell you if you have any sign of cancer in your mouth or throat. And specific- test- yeah, what, what, was this, what was the sample size of, of like the people oh, that people went through that? So we did a clinical study that we sent to FBA. This was about 5,000 people. 5, 95% okay. specificity and 90% plus sensitivity. Hmm. And now we are extending that to other diseases colorectal cancer, GI cancers, you know, breast cancer, ovarian cancer, gynecological cancer, head, neck, shoulder cancer, IBD, NASH and NAFLD, right? So literally we're going through and say, can we diagnose these diseases before the people even know they have them so we can do something about it and reverse it? Mm. Yeah, these upcoming technologies are so fascinating. We had <laughs> Sergey Young on who runs the Longevity Fund, yeah. which I'm sure you I know, know through XPRIZE. I know Sergey very well. I've done actually... Uh, a podcast with him and Sergey is of course as board of XPRIZE with me and he's also yes. uh, and I'm also on the board of Singularity University so that's how I know Peter and Ray Carl yes and- yes and I'm always curious to know I mean it's been a while since we spoke with Sergey but based on what you've seen just because you have a lot of information curiosity and insider knowledge around this stuff what are some of the upcoming technologies that you're the most excited about that can make a big impact on how long we live on a longevity health basis yeah so I can tell you that the thing that we knew 2,500 years ago is probably the one that's going to drive us forward, which is let food be thy medicine, right? And I really believe the medicines of the future are going to come from a farm, not a pharmacy. The food is going to be the medicine, the food we eat every day and how the food is grown actually has more impact on our longevity than anything else we do, right? So there are only four or five things you can do. The proper nutrition for your body, getting a healthy sleep, movement, which is exercising a bit. You don't need to be a you know, gym rat 
all you need to do is 20 minutes of walk and that's good it's just movement what that does that right so and number four is reducing the stress because your gut and a brain are connected when you are stressed it releases corticoid that changes the gut microbiome it actually converts the microbes are converting these notice corticoid into other hormones like testosterone that actually cause inflammation in the gut lining right mm. so point I want to make is that those are the three four things you have to do a, a personalized nutrition there is no such thing that as hippocrates said not only he said all diseases begin in the gut remember that hippocrates quote all diseases begin in the gut let food be thy medicine let thy medicine be the food and the last part was one man's food is another man's poison he knew that everybody should be eating the same food broccoli may be good for you it may be bad for you spinach may be good for you it may be bad for you and it's not forever it may be bad for you today year from now it may be good for you right it mm. just as the body is changing and adapting you have to know you can't treat your body like a black box and hoping it will just do the right thing you have to know what's happening and adjust your diet so to me the biggest change is going to be from naturally that part ultimately you ask me about what other technologies i am super excited about i don't get excited about crispr at all and and let me tell you why your only rare genetic diseases which are less than 2% of all diseases are called rare genetic diseases and you know sean why they call rare genetic diseases they are rare right mm-hmm. and only those genetic diseases are fully penetrant you have a you have a gene you're going to get a disease sickle cell amnesia right and there only you can do crispr to modify everything else is a bullshit tell me and i this is how i explain to people let's assume you say i have multiple copies of apoe4 and somehow somebody tells me i'm going to get else i have eight times more likely to get alzheimer first of all let the reason i think is bullshit is elephants have eight copies of apoe4 and elephants are known for their memory so let's just forget that for a second <clears throat> if i have a gene that i'm born with why does a gene sit idle for 60 years or 70 years and wakes up one day and say fuck shot i'm going to wipe out his memory right now really it just one day it wake up and say i'm going to wipe your memory in a bad mood yeah <laughs> yeah basically i ask them i say what happens to the gene that i'm born with does it something has to trigger it for it to do something to overexpress or underexpress and what if you can take the trigger away or the matchbox away then does it matter what genes you have so point is focus on the trigger or a matchbox that causes that gene to do something and then you can have any gene you want yes it's about prevention rather than getting yes. to the change yeah and that, so the crispr doesn't excite me but what does excite me is there are things you can do let's for example if you have certain organism that may actually be causing lot of grief can you come up with a phages that will infect that bacteria and only kill that organism not an antibiotic that kills everything as a collateral damage so you can have very very specific set of phages that are going to be specific antibiotics against that organism got it other technology that are really exciting in my opinion are going to be that sooner or later every part of our body is going to get analyzed every day not once every 3 months 6 months or every month because our tiles are going to have sensors in them so as we walk it knows analyzes our uh, you know sweat it analyzing our weight it analyzes when you wake up 
our ambient ambient devices are analyzing our voice. Boy, that does not, you look like you're sick or you have depression or you have this. Your mirror is analyzing your body. Your toilets are analyzing your stool and urine. I mean, literally all these devices are constantly analyzing. And one day, our nanobots in our body are going to be literally on our body, analyzing it and repairing our body. So mm. much so that you may not even need your heart because you have these nanobots that are going to be actually when you know pumping the oxygen, carrying the uh, oxygen to the different tissues. And when your heart stops working, you can simply call your doctor and say, hey doc, my heart stopped working. I'm gonna take a quick shot. Can you print me a new 3D heart? You already have my stem cells. Print me a new heart and I'll be there in about an hour or so, right? Wow. <laughs> and all these things are going to start to happen. 3D organic, uh, uh, 3D printed organic organs that are made from your own stem cells so they will never be rejected. Hmm. Right. That's fascinating. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's where the future is headed. One day you won't even need the biological body because your brain, which is what really makes us who we are, our memories and our experiences, is going to be on the cloud. And you hmm. can have a body that doesn't have to be even a biological body, right? So today we can replace our knees, I replace our hip, we can replace every part of our body, and we still think it's us as long as our brain is there. And now what if your brain can be on non-biological body? Yeah, I mean, I could totally see that, especially with the metaverse and all these things yeah. that are coming up. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, before we go, I mean, I definitely want to make sure people check out all of the things that you're doing. Where can people find you online, Naveen? Where, where do you yeah. want people to learn more about you and what you're working on? Of course, I, you can go to naveengen.com. Uh, that's my name, uh, N-A-V-E-E-N-J-A-I-N.com. You can go actually to my LinkedIn, follow me on LinkedIn, follow me on Instagram, or go to viome.com, V-I-O-M-E.com, and you can find it, all the work that we're doing, and hopefully that will prevent you from getting sick. I'm sure we're going to convert some people into personalized nutrition just from this episode today. Uh, so my final question for you is, what's a non-negotiable for you in your daily routine, weekly routine that gets you to this energy that you have here today and the ability to think bigger and what's kind of this thing that gets you going and maybe beyond exercise or some of the things or sleep, some of the things that people already do. Never stop learning. I spend the first hour of my day every day by learning new things. Reading the science paper that have nothing to do anything I do. Every day I ask myself, what am I learning? And I Mm. ask every time I go to sleep, what did I learn today? And if I I'm not better intellectually, emotionally, or spiritually. What can I do tomorrow to double that? Wow. Yeah. It's a growth, growth mindset. I love yeah. that. I love that. Well, Naveen, thank you so much for your time. I mean, this thank is uh, such a fascinating interview. I hope a lot of people took away some stuff, uh, which I'm sure they have. And uh, we'll have all of the links below to thank your you. website, all the things where people can find you. Again, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the show. Hope you really enjoyed our guest today and that you took one thing valuable from our conversation. If you haven't already, I would love it if you could leave a quick rating or review on whichever network you're listening to the show and share this episode with one friend if you found it valuable. And if it's something that a friend, a family member, or just someone that you care about could find a little bit of insight from what you learned today. All right. Ciao.